Cinema Jaws is sponsored by Overcast, an independent podcast app that embraces the open world of podcasting instead of locking it down. No exclusives, no premium content, no paywalls. Just a great podcast app for everyone. Get it for free in the App Store. And we thank them for their support. You're listening to Cinema Jaw, the greatest movies podcast ever, recorded on location from our respective homes in Chicago. My name is Matt Kay, and with me is... Rye the Movie Guy, and sitting alongside us is... Phil Me and Phil. Hello! How are we doing tonight, boys? This week on Cinema Jaw, Matt, we turned evil as we cover our top five favorite heel turns in movie history. This is great. You know, I th- I love a good heel turn. You, you remember when um, when Hulk Hogan turned evil in the like mid to late 90s when he grew the beard? As a Macho right. Man fan, how could I forget? <laughs> I was going to say the term heel turn, you used it. And, and I hope most people listening to this know what we're talking about. When a character who is good turns evil. But the term to me, came from wrestling. I had never heard it really used in film or in other areas of entertainment. For me, it was professional wrestling. A heel turn meant a wrestler turned from good to evil. Yes, from babyface to heel. Well, I mean, I think that the term has become so ubiquitous and in the zeitgeist or whatever you want to say that it's it's been adopted in other forms, other genres. But Hopefully most people understand we're talking because it's such it's such an unwieldy term to say good characters who turn bad. So heel turns very succinct turns. Yes. But again, for the record, think of it. Jawheads. Think about it. We got our top five already written down, but characters who were good turned evil. It's a fun topic. Indeed. Yes. Good one, Ryan. Absolutely. This was a good pick on your part. And, And when you have a fun topic like we have here this week. You got to have a fun guest. Yeah, we do, too. Robert Daniels is going to be joining us. He is a fellow film critic, a member of the Chicago Critics Association. They have a film festival coming up. We're going to talk to him all about that. Yes, Robert's first time on Cinema Jaw, so can't wait to talk to Robert. Besides that, we have more going on, don't we, Phil? Yes, our death threats have stopped coming in. Nicolas Cage has decided to leave us alone, and the restraining order has worked. So we officially have our May topic of the month, uh, and we'll get to who we're celebrating. Equally as crazy, maybe not equally as crazy. No one's mm, just debatable. as crazy as Nicolas Cage, but still pretty crazy. So I, I think I get excited, guys. Yeah, and we'll probably get more threats. In addition to that, we have a review. It is a long-awaited one. We have Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. How exciting, Matt. That film is directed by Sam Raimi. Yeah, one of the greats, huh? We talked about how interesting it is, and we'll touch on it in our review, that Sam Raimi came back to direct a superhero film inside the MCU. And I think it's probably the second best director in the mcu yeah oh wait uh, what do you do mean it. second best second best i would say second best second director best. in the MCU. what are you talking about who you got above uh, uh sam raimi i looked at it matt uh-huh. and i'm convinced it's james gunn <laughs> you're crazy dude i'm not crazy you're i looked saying it over james, james gunn, gunn versus yes. sam raimi and you're going Sam you're going james gunn i'm going james gunn i love me some james gunn but that's just ridiculous ryan sam raimi is way better 
No chance, man. Cinema War. Ooh, Robert's going to have his hands full with that one. Plus, as Phil mentioned, brand new topic, just as crazy as Nick Cage. We don't know. Yes, no. Phil, I'll give you the honors. Who are we celebrating this month of May? Here's what I'll say, Ryan. It is a shame that we're doing this over Zoom and that this isn't a live recording that people can watch on their televisions, because if they were, we all know I'd be jumping up and down on the sofa, screaming about how much I love Tom Cruise right now. Wow. That is our topic of the month. We are celebrating the man, the myth, the absolute legend, Tom Cruise. I don't know how we've done Cinema Jaw this long, celebrating different actors, actresses, and directors for as long as we have, and we have not done Tom Cruise. We looked at our notes. It's amazing. It's because he's a little... Um... I don't know. He's got some rough edges. That's, that's the, oh, yes. Thank you. Controversial. Well, we'll get to that. I'm we sure will. during our yeah. celebration of Tom Cruise. In honor of Tom Cruise Month, we're kicking it off with tricky, tricky Tom Cruise trivia. Matt K versus Daniel. Robert Daniels in tricky Tom Cruise movie trivia. All right. Sounds good. I, I wrote him tough because everybody knows Tom Cruise movies. And I know Robert Daniels knows his Tom Cruise. You know your Tom Cruise. Let's make it difficult. All right. I don't think you Sound really. Good? Yeah, you probably can just give him difficult questions and me easy questions. Well, we said crazy. Let's see how it stacks up against Nick, Nick Cage crazy when we get to our fact. What do we got, Phil? Honestly, okay, we don't want to blow our wad on the craziest one. So this one's actually pretty noble, and it's a noble twofer. Uh, we all know Tom Cruise. He's he's America's favorite action star. He's known for playing the hero. However, in real life, this man is an actual hero. He has played an action star in real life, saving the day for real humans twice in his life that at least we have recorded possibly more times. Uh, the first instance took place in 1998. Uh, Tom Cruise and some of his bodyguards chased down thieves in London uh, when they stole $153,000 worth of jewelry from his then-neighbor Rita Simmons. Uh, Tom Cruise rushed to the rescue after hearing uh, screams, of, screams of a woman from down the road where she was being mugged as she exited a car. So... Truly like an action movie. This Crazy. man swoops in and, and stops the burglars. Plus, uh, I'd just love to see Tom Cruise running in real life. I mean, we see it on screen all the time. So You think he right? goes fingers, like, fingers up? Very like, heroic, yes. Yeah. What a shame that no one had a camera for this. Honestly, there's a part of me that wonders if maybe they did and it just made it into a Mission Impossible movie and we weren't <laughs> paying attention. It's 98, so nobody had cell phones, right? <laughs> uh, the other one... <clears throat> it was not that long afterwards. Tom Cruise took Helosa Vinhas, a 23-year-old Brazilian uh, actress, to the hospital after witnessing her get hit by a car in Los Angeles. And then, what a nice guy, after finding out that she had had no insurance to, to cover the bill for being hit by this car, he paid, seven, he paid the entire $7,000 bill in full. Wow. What a hero. Where it's, is good to start off that? it's good to I start broke off a rib in Los Angeles. Tom, what the hell? But that's okay. It's good to start off on a, on a Tom Cruise note like that. Let's, that yeah. That's a good baseline. Well done, And that's Phil. the kind of facts I want to hear about Tom Cruise. I just think he's a hero everywhere he goes. You mm, know what I mean? Yeah. 
Okay. Is that what you think he is? Oh, Everywhere yeah. Everywhere he goes? I, I, yeah, I think he's in a restaurant and, and somebody like mm. knocks over their silverware and he's the kind of guy that catches it before it hits the floor. It's just the Tom Cruise move. Okay. Ryan, you're a jerk. <laughs> I thought you loved you're Tom Cruise, Phil. I do love Tom Cruise movies. <laughs> <laughs> All right, this is going to be a fun month to celebrate, yeah, It is. Tommy. It's going to be interesting. <laughs> All right. Without further ado, Matt, we bring in our guest. Robert Daniels is a film critic with freelance bylines in the New York Times, the Los Angeles Times, at RogerEbert.com, at Polygon, and at The Playlist. He is a member of the Chicago Film Critics Association and a programmer for the Chicago Critics Film Festival, which is taking place May 13th through the 19th at the Music Box Robert, welcome to Cinema Jaw. Thank you for having me, guys. This has been uh, fantastic. I think we've talked about me coming on a couple of times, and it's finally—it's good to finally make it happen. Agreed. You've Absolutely. been on—you've been on our short list for man at least a couple of years. So it's—it's it's awesome to finally get you on on an episode, Robert. You you bursted onto the scene here in Chicago as as a critic. Just read your uh, your bio here, writing for a lot of uh, big publications. When did you really get started? At what age into film criticism? And oh. even on the small level, we're talking. Yeah, no, I I got into film criticism pretty pretty late. Um, uh, basically, just after grad school, I was trying to get into. Um, uh, book publishing actually <laughs> and I was trying to figure out a way to get into book publishing and then I thought oh, I gotta kind of keep my writing skills going while I'm not in grad school and I was like I'll just start up a blog or something and I've always loved movies so I was like I'll just start up a movie blog and that's how 812, 812 Film Reviews was born and this was back in um, ooh, uh, late 2017 early 2018 or so so it's been about it's been a solid four year, four year run. Eight one two. Is that was that your area code at the time? Everyone thinks that. And no, it's actually a reference to Federico Fellini's Eight and a Half. Oh, my, my favorite movie, <laughs> which is playing at uh, Facets, I think, coming up soon. Uh, my wife used to work there. Love Facets. Um, well, that kind of leads into my next question, which I like to ask a lot of guests. What was that the film that got you into movies or was there one probably before Federico Fellini that got you into movies? Um, you know, it's interesting. I was actually uh, talking to Mariah about this yesterday, my girlfriend, Mariah, who's also a critic. Um, and um, I was we were talking about like, you know, eight and a half was really a, a big influence for me and stuff like that. But then when I really thought about what was the, the movie that kind of got me into to watching movies um I, it really was like baseball movies actually that's cool yeah. which one or which ones uh, uh stuff like field of dreams um yeah. i'm a big kevin costner fan low-key um <laughs> and uh for the love of the game also um it's another one boy this and, bodes well for me later on in the in the yeah, show sam raby yeah <laughs> <laughs> probably his most like low-key film <laughs> he's ever made but um but yeah yeah a lot of, a lot of the baseball stuff uh um really got me into it probably because so much of baseball is about the storytelling aspect it's about big characters and big narratives and the way that those they kind of fold into each other to create metaphors about the way that we interpret our lives, the way we uh, interpret even the world around us. You know, baseball is a metaphor for America's 
has always been very powerful. Just watch Ken Burns' uh, baseball, the miniseries. Yeah. So you're a Chicagoan. You're a baseball fan. Got to ask, Cubs or Sox? Oh, Cubs all the way. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> really, everything's turning up Matt on this episode. I, I will say trivia about myself. I have worked at Wrigley Field for eight seasons. That's my day job. Um, oh, for wow. real? What do you do at Wrigley? I'm, I started out as a tour guide, and now I, I help manage the tours. Um, and uh, I was there in 2016. I do have a World Series ring. So, yeah. Wow, that is yeah. awesome. That's it's been a, it's been a good run. So yeah, it comes all the way. I, I pretty much says it in my heart, says it on my paycheck. <laughs> good stuff. That is so, awesome, Robert. I, we we see you at screenings all the time, and it's funny how a lot of times there's just more buzz or more hype, or you can just tell when you go into a screening, people are more excited to see one film over the other. What working director right now is the director that you get most excited to see their work? Ooh. Oh, that's a great question. Um, I think right now, you know, it's someone like Barry Jenkins, who it's just every single time out of the gate, you know, he's just, he's on it. He's on it. He's on it. One, I remember one of the most electric atmospheres I've, I've ever been in was at TIFF 2018 when If Beale Street Could Talk had its world premiere and you could feel the building about to burst, you know, yeah. um, because it was follow-up for Moonlight um, and he didn't disappoint and Barry, Barry never disappoints. Also the Safety brothers, you know, I, when I saw the premiere of uncut gems at TIFF uh, a couple years back, that was also an electric atmosphere. So, I mean, those two right now are just, I mean, those, those three um, are pretty much, you know, every single time they come out with something, I have to sit up and, um, Oh, and David Lowry too. David Lowry is fantastic. Oh, he does. is. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> but, but speaking of electric atmospheres, and we're going to get to the Chicago Critics Film Festival, but there was one movie in particular that played at South by Southwest that I believe you were at the screening. And I came and I saw the, the movie, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. And I actually said in my review here on the podcast that I was jealous of people that probably saw this in a festival setting because there's just that extra level of excitement. Were you able to see this at South by? Yeah, I, I was, I was at the world premiere and it was absolutely electric. You could have lit the, you could have lit the building on fire with the energy that was in it. Right. It was because the South by audience, if, for people who haven't been to South by Southwest, right. It is a party atmosphere just about everyone who's at a screening is either drunk buzz or about to be it. You know, it is, everyone is kind of like hooping and hollering for whatever comes onto the screen. Now match that with a movie, like everything everywhere all at once, that's actually really good. And you take it, you take the dial and you turn it up to like 20. And that's exactly what it was. Like the cast came out, they got everyone going, you know, um, and uh, the movie starts and within five minutes of that movie you know that movie is a great one it's that's an all-timer um mm -hmm. it's you know someone compared it uh a bit ago to like you know seeing the matrix for the first time and it kind of felt like that <laughs> you know it was just like you just knew that like oh this is gonna be this is gonna be on my top five end of the year list immediately that's right there everything else is coming after you know it's mm -hmm. um it was a singular event and a singular atmosphere and it, it reminded me of why I, I love uh, film festivals and why I missed them so much during the pandemic is mm -hmm. being in a room with 
about 2000 people, everyone going crazy over a movie, you know, it's mm-hmm. just perfect romanticism of movie making. That's <laughs> awesome. Sure is. It, it's actually a, a movie that reminds me of why I love movies. Sometimes we get into these ruts where you see good movies. I'm not saying you don't, but man, when that special one comes around and you see it, it hits different and it reminds me of, yes, this is why I love going to the theater and checking these movies out, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I, you know, like you said, I think we see so many movies and so many things kind of blend in with each other. You know, everything's kind of doing the same thing over and over and over again. And then you see a movie that has sausage fingers. You're like, whoa, (laughs) 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 haven't seen this one before. You know, like, (laughs) I don't think I've ever cared so deeply about a conversation between two rocks before. (laughs) It It was just, you know, it's just something different, something that was like, Oh, it's like a filmmaker taking a big swing. Two filmmakers actually, the Daniels taking big swings and absolutely hitting it out of the park. It's just amazing to see. It's good stuff. So that leads us into the Chicago Critics Film Festival, which you are a programmer of, like I mentioned, taking place at the Music Box May 13th through the 19th. The idea is that the critics of the Chicago Film Critics go out, they see these movies at festivals, and then you guys make calls and and try to get these special films that haven't had a premiere yet and bring them all to the music box. Are are you one of those out in the field going by South by going out to uh, TIFF or wherever it would be Sundance and then reporting back on what films you've seen? Yeah, basically. I mean, one cards on the table, like uh, we talked about how I began, right? 2018 Chicago Critics Film Festival was the very first film festival I ever attended. So it's always had a special place in my heart. It is my favorite film festival of all the ones I go to. Um, and all of them are special, but that one especially. Um, and I usually am, I became a programmer um, for the fall iteration that happened in 2021. Um, and this time around, it was good to kind of go out, as you said, into the field at South by um, didn't get to go to Sundance, unfortunately, darn it. But I was at least at South by and kept, you know, kept my eye open um, and kind of looked around of what was getting some buzz, what kind of made sense for the audience the festival has, and then sent, you know, some titles back to Brian, be like, these are the ones that, that stuck out. Um, and there, you know, there are quite a few that stuck out that we were able to get that I'm excited for. I think this is one of the best lineups we've ever had, if not the best. So the opening night film is one that Matt had on, on his list for summer movie preview. What, what do we got for the opener? We got Cha-Cha Real Smooth um, from um, let's see, the director of uh, um, Sh- Shithouse. Yes. <laughs> um, which actually I didn't get to see his first movie, but I, you know, I saw Cha-Cha Real Smooth. And um, it's an interesting movie. I've totally forgot that uh, the director, Cooper Rafe, who's going to be at the festival, he's going to be attending the opening night and we'll be doing a Q and a afterwards. Uh, it's only 25. It's yeah. It's crazy. He's really young. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, you know, this movie Cha-Cha real smooth. It's heartwarming movie. That is kind of, it's going to remind you of when you were 25 and when you were kind of out in the world, making mistakes. <laughs> Can't wait for it. They were calling it this year's coda. Is that fair? That comparison? You know what? It's I I hate making kind of comparisons with movies like Coda that feel like they're like singular in the way that they've come out and they kind of 
build an audience around them. Coda really, you know, uh, I don't know if this is a big of, as to say, it's not as big of an awards play as I would say. Okay. But in terms of the feel goodness of it, in terms of it kind of being this kind of punch the air movie, you know, that it's can bring people together. Yeah, it has yeah. the same kind of tone to it. Cool, cool. Going through the fast, a couple more highlights. What are we looking forward to here, Robert? Yeah, so we have quite a few guests coming in. Um, one movie is To Leslie, which is an incredibly interesting movie about an alcoholic woman who returns back to her hometown. Mark Marin co-stars in it. As oh, sweet. The, as, yeah, he's great in it. And uh, he plays a hotel owner who kind of gives her a chance and tries to rehabilitate her. Um, Michael Morris, the director, is actually going to be at the festival um, there's also Hold Your Fire, which is by uh, Stephen Forbes. Um, and it's about the longest hostage situation at NYPD history. Um, happened when um, four black men uh, commandeered weapons and decided to have basically a standoff at the NYPD. And it's uh, an exceptional movie about um, over-policing and, uh, you know, the themes that became prescient or i should say important even more important during black lives matter mm. um so that movie will be playing too and then probably the big highlight is i love my dad which stars Patton oswald Patton oswald just got announced to be that he'll be in attendance it uh it's directed by james morsini um and it's the one film from this that i have not watched um everyone at the on the programming team is super excited about it it's kind of like um <laughs> the best way I could kind of describe it is if you remember Robin Williams, like um, was uh, worst dad in the world or something uh, that film from years back. Uh, it's kind of like that. And that, and that it's about this, um, this father who gets trapped in this situation where you're like, I feel like he could have avoided this, but we'll see how this plays out. And, you know, Patton Oswalt's one of those comedians who kind of like um, Jim Gaffigan lately, where I really love Jim Gaffigan in dramatic roles. Patton Oswalt, same, where they have this vulnerability to them that reminds me sometimes of Robin Williams' vulnerability. And you see that on display in this movie. Um, and like I say, he'll be attending the festival. Yeah, I saw that email come through. That's so exciting, man. Cool. It totally is. Another great thing is you can actually buy a pass for every film in the festival. So people can go to Music Box website or probably Chicago critics get one pass and go to see every single film. Yeah. And it's quite literally the best bang for your buck you're going to get. I mean, um, I've seen, you know, um, because I'm a programmer, I've seen most of the films, about 80% of the films. And I mean, they're just, they're all fantastic. And, you know, between the new films and then the repertory stuff that we have, you know, we had the 25th anniversary screening of Boogie Nights and the 30th anniversary screening of Bram Stoker's Dracula, um, both movies that I love and are going to be wild and crazy at a packed music box. <laughs> Hell yeah. That's such a great I, venue. They just did the David Lynch retrospective over there and I caught a racer head. And I mean, it's just a total blast scene, you know, a classic film up on that screen in a packed audience. I, I'm dying for the Boogie Nights. I can't wait for it. Yeah. You know, I, the music box, I've, you know, I've going to all these festivals. I'm lucky enough that I get to be in kind of every city's like their jewel, like their, their best theater and just nothing matches the music box. Nothing matches the popcorn there the atmosphere, the people, the screen, the sound. 
it's just, it's an incredible atmosphere. I, you know, it's truly what I, when I think about Chicago, it's the, it's the first thing I think about. Yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. Uh, Robert, where should we send the Jawheads online that want to maybe buy tickets or passes for the festival? Where's the best place to send them? Yeah, I mean, you can go, as you said, to the music box. Um, also, you can go to chicagocriticsfilmfestival.com um, and slash films. Um, so if you go there, you'll be able to see the entire lineup. You'll be able to learn more about every single title. And it'll, there are links that will take you to uh, buy tickets for the films and buy tickets for passes, too, which, like I said, it's definitely the biggest bang for your buck. No doubt. And for the listeners that want to check out your reviews, where should we send them online to read your best reviews? And they are damn good reviews. So where should we send them, Robert? Um, you can follow me at 812 Film Reviews on Twitter. Uh, you can also follow me on Letterboxd at 812 Film Reviews there, too. Um, and then, as you said, I, the majority of my writing usually goes to Roger Ebert, The Playlist, and Polygon. Those are my three main outlets. And I have a monthly column in, in the New York Times on um, the best action streaming movies of the month. So those are, find me on all those spots and everywhere more. <laughs> nice. Do it, everybody. We'll throw the links in the show notes, as always. Sounds good. Celebrating Tom Cruise month here. We'll end the interview segment with a Tom Cruise question. If an alien or somebody from a, a, a weird part of the world that's never heard of Tom Cruise or saw a Tom Cruise movie came up to you and you had to show them one film that encompasses what Tom Cruise is all about, what one Tom Cruise film does it? It's a tough question. I, uh, a Few Good Men. Uh, wow, okay. Yeah, I would say A Few Good Men because I think you get the entire range of him. I think you get him as a dramatic star. I think people forget how great of a dramatic actor he is. Uh, the charm, um, he's a bit of a romantic lead in it too. Um, yeah, I, I would say a few good men. You get the full, like, I think that's like almost like Tom Cruise at like the peak, at the peak mm. of his powers. Yeah. It's a good pick. Yeah, it is. We'll be talking Tom Cruise all month though, Matt. We'll get more of them. Yeah. Before we get there, though, big, big movie to talk about here, Matt. Oh, was there? It's hard, yeah. Oh. It's hard to believe this. All right. But it's already been six years since the first Doctor Strange film. It was a movie stacked with a great cast and amazing visual effects. Yet leading up to this sequel, The Multiverse of Madness, I could not really recall what it was about. Doctor Strange, the character played by... Benedict Cumberbatch, has appeared in other Marvel films since then, of course. He played a major role in the last Spider-Man film, No Way Home. But could he make his own film as special and as memorable as those? Matt Kay, Robert, and I skipped across the multiverse to find out. Every night, I dream the same dream. The nightmare begins. Expectations were high as rumors swirled around and about the new Doctor Strange film. 
We'll get to those rumors in a bit. Another reason for the excitement? Sam Raimi was back directing a superhero film for the first time since directing his Spider-Man trilogy. And the film has his fingerprints all over it. But you can see that it was still made in Marvel's kitchen. We open up with a fun but forced action set piece. Strange, along with the character America Chavez, are trying to get a book in a bizarre universe that reminded me somewhat of a rainbow road course in Mario Kart. The Doctor Strange we know then wakes up to our universe thinking it was only a dream, but it was not. Soon, America and a large, and America the character, I mean, and a large one-eyed monster are on the streets of New York. The ability to jump to different universes is a power that is dangerous and one, that, and one power that many people would like to have. One such person, Wanda herself, a.k.a. the Scarlet Witch, played by Elizabeth Olsen. We finally get to see her turn into the evil witch she is known to be as she searches for a way to be with her children. I should note, I have not seen WandaVision or Age of Ultron, so I'm a little lost on her backstory. I'll let Matt fill me in here. I will say her performance was one of the highlights in this messy sequel. Another highlight, the visuals. If you don't go into this film high, you will probably feel high by the end of it. We get some trippy, dark, and twisted imagery on screen, and I loved it all. This is where we get to cherish the Sam Raimi effect. This is a dark Marvel film, maybe one of the darkest, yet it suffers from a weak plot and one that feels stitched together at times to get us to an endpoint, and that endpoint turns into just another turn in the never-ending Marvel factory line. I walked out of Doctor Strange with mixed feelings. I had fun, but digging a little bit deeper, I did not find much I, I, much I liked. Sure, some new characters were introduced. I'm sure that'll make some Marvel fans happy out there. But for casual superhero fans like myself, this was middle-of-the-road entertainment, and I'm afraid another Doctor Strange film I'll forget about in six years. Matt? Well, first of all, I did not forget about the first Doctor Strange movie. I thought it was one of the highlights of that that phase if you will of the marvel cinematic universe this is not one of the highlights for me unfortunately i think that there's the special effects were fun but they're at odds with sam raimi's um vision for the movie and you could feel that dichotomy butting up against each other like the bright crazy rubbery cgi monsters and the dark twisted like camera movements and demons that that Raimi threw in or at least felt like signature Raimi, whether or not he dreamed them up uh, there. The, yeah. Those two things played it at odds with one another. Also, I got to say like, Holy crap, DC would have done this movie better in, in a DC universe. If this had an R rating, how cool would this movie have been? But they had to pull so many punches. If Sam Raimi had just been let off the chain, okay, Raimi, you go make a Doctor Strange movie the way you want to make it. This could have been spectacular. But unfortunately, I agree with you for the most part, Ryan. It's messy and it's just okay. Elizabeth Olsen, she was great. It's unfortunate that you don't know Wanda's whole backstory because that was probably the most satisfying bit of the movie, getting some closure. So I, I- I did miss out on a little bit of that. I mentioned that 
well, we previewed it last week. Well, I don't know if you missed out on anything other than your own satisfaction. Having WandaVision is superlative television. It really is amazing. It, it was a great TV show. You should watch it. The only reason you didn't is because you're a stubborn ass, I guess. You just didn't want to watch it because it was Marvel. And that's a shame because sure. it was good. Sure. I'm not saying like... I'll, I'll let you have your minute here. That's fine. You, you go ahead. don't have to go watch like... Captain America and the Winter Soldier. It, that was okay. It was pretty good. But WandaVision is a true crossover. It was it was really good and a great entry point for anybody to the MCU stuff. And this tied up some bows that were left open at, by that show. Hmm. Her her heel turn, if you were, you know, it, it, that was good. I, I thought it was fun. But America Chavez felt like an Atta kid. I don't think she got like a proper character arc whatsoever. And the whole thing just left me wanting a little bit more. I loved the Raimi stuff, though. Like when he when Dr. Strange, um, I, I don't want to spoil anything. So I'm going to dance around this. But let's just say he 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 travels from one body to another, which is something Dr. Strange probably does every day. And what he says, like, you'll have to protect me. She's like, from who? The souls of the damned. That's like <laughs> I was like in heaven. Love that line. Love that whole sequence. Um, there's some really great horror esque sequences in the movie, but it feels like a lot of, um, pieces and instead I, of a whole, I will say that they, they push the limits of PG 13, which I believe the rating is on this. Let's just double check that and throw it in the fish tank, Phil, what the rating is on the film. 95% sure it's PG 13. But when we walked out, somebody behind us on the escalator coming out of the uh, AMC was asking the same question. Like, do you know if that was rated R? Because there are some gruesome death scenes here. Now, we're going to turn it to Robert. First time he's on the show. So I don't even know where he falls on the, the whole Marvel, you know, is he a, a big superhero fan? I don't know. So, Robert, what, what did you make of Doctor Strange? Okay, so I did watch WandaVision. Um, wasn't as big of a fan as Matt was. <laughs> but... Um, I, I didn't like the new Doctor Strange at all. I mean, like, I I thought the bits where Sam Raimi's style poked through and you got really gruesome kills, you got the horror aspects. Um, I thought those were fantastic, but it's just, it's being crushed under the weight of the MCU churn that we keep seeing over and over again. And America Chavez, as, as Matt said, didn't get fully developed um, in terms of her character arc. Um, I wasn't a, a fan of Olsen's performance either. I mean, I thought like the, the I guess my issue with it is that it almost, the movie almost assumes that you watched WandaVision and then the second you stopped WandaVision, you put on Doctor Strange too, right? Because she starts off at such a high emotional level that she really, I mean, like uh, I was talking to Brian Salarico funny enough about this on Twitter is that she has nowhere to go, you know? she just kind of stays there at this peak and so there's not really any headroom for her and so there's no room for her to kind of create dynamics with the character and she does the best she can but you know the script doesn't really help her out that much and i don't think Raimi helps her out that much either um i think she kind of got left hang up hung out to dry um i like the first doctor strange but i think one of the big things that didn't connect as well here is because we haven't seen the Dr. Strange for six years is that there's, you know, not to spoil anything, but there's the whole relationship between 
strange and Christine that yeah. felt that just it didn't connect with me emotionally. It felt forced. And it's like we haven't seen enough to get to this emotional standpoint for me to believe that this has left a hole in Strange's heart this big. You know? I, I'm so glad you brought this up. So so Christine is played by Rachel McAdams. And I didn't see her in any of the promotional uh, posters or anything for, sure. for what I saw. And again, saying that I had sort of forgot the first Doctor Strange movie, literally when she came on screen, it was like, a, oh, right, she was she was the love interest in Doctor Strange. <laughs> and right, I, if I'm at that far back, I didn't buy anything that there was like a hole in, in Strange's heart over this relationship. Didn't buy any of that. So I'm glad you brought that up. That, that was a fail. It needed yeah. a recap. Yes. <laughs> it, it definitely needed a recap like last time on, you know, yes. like, because like there wasn't, the, you know, it's not like say Stark and Potts, right? Where like they kind of weave Potts in a little bit, you know, seen here, seen there in different movies. It's like, we truly have not seen Christine <laughs> since the first Doctor Strange. And it's like, oh, there's, yeah, as you said, Ryan, like, oh yeah, she's in this movie. Oh, okay. All right. I, I guess I, I'll roll with it. We'll see what happens. And I, I never bought it. I never bought any of the emotional stakes in this movie, like from anyone. Um, which is a shame. And I, I do think that, you know, I'm if it's a PG-13, I'd be shocked. I'd, I'm already shocked that it, if it is a PG-13, because it is gruesome in parts. It, is, yeah, it really is. It's no Suicide Squad. Come on. I mean, there's there's a couple of uh, kills where your imagination is left to to run in dark places, but they don't show anything. There's a there's a bifurcation, right, where a character gets chopped in half and it's done off screen. We, we, we're left to imagine what that looks like. It doesn't get shown. If this was there Suicide a, Squad, you would have seen that character fall <laughs> in two, you know? There is a neck snap. In the- <laughs> yeah. And, and someone gets impaled by like one of those uh, fences with the spikes. Somebody falls on that. It, I mean, it's gruesome stuff. I was shocked, you know? Yeah, but all these things are happening in a make-believe universe. So the stakes are lowered, right? Like that neck snap in particular was uh, in a double make-believe universe, right? So I, I think that lessens it. That was a really Perhaps. cool sequence, by the way, when <laughs> it goes before, uh, let's just say, a little group. That was cool. That was the fanboy moment for me when, like, Marvel character after Marvel character we haven't seen on screen before just, like, popped up there. I was, I was uh, in my chair getting kind of excited. Really I'm so it. tired of these moments because even at like the press screening, you hear people like get excited and I, I could care less, you know, I don't care who's on Come screen. On. I'm not going to get excited at all. Is that a spoiler? Um, I don't think so. <laughs> not at this point. <laughs> it, I'm, it not, is. Um, I'm not, I'm not, me. I'm, you know, in terms of my comic book knowledge, it basically is like the TV series, the movies, right? I'm not really a comic book reader. So when this group showed up, I really did look at the screen and said, who? <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like I don't know, you know, how much, you know, this, uh, you know, I, I get that it, it's for, of course, the, the, the major, major comic book fans. But if, you know, it feels like the, the reveals now are so far away from any realm of a casual, you know, viewers um, purview that it, it really is just like this, like 
big I mean, it's a pretty lengthy moment in this movie you know it's not even like an easter egg it's a whole scene where you're like mm-hmm. i don't know who if you're a casual i don't know who these people are <laughs> well let's 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 be honest and, and i think i said this to ryan in some form or another recently like if you read dr strange you were a nerd among the nerds you know like i read spider-man and i read iron man maybe a little bit of avengers oh you read dr strange you are a nerd, you know, that is deep nerddom. Well, let's get one spoiler out of the uh, way here. And it's a spoiler that is what what was a non-spoiler, I guess. We we had talked about this idea that Tom Cruise was supposed to be in the movie. You went so far as on the podcast say, it's already knowledge. It's on the Internet. He's well, not. The, the Internet movie. is never wrong, Ryan. This might be the first time. <laughs> so so literally after the, the the credits roll i'm thinking well i'm not getting up until i see my tom cruise in here it must be the the gag at the end or something there's no tom cruise that was a complete letdown there there <laughs> yeah yeah it was a letdown for me as well i really bought it and then like i got home and i went on twitter and i was trying to find those those old tweets that i looked at and totally bought and believed and uh yeah i guess i was i was fooled what can i say mm. man <laughs> Well, it seems like none of us were, were very high up on uh, Doctor Strange, but there there were some great moments. Matt, was there one particular, a jaw-dropping or, or stunning moment in the film you want to highlight here? Well, actually, I'm going to go the other direction for a change because this is like the multiverse. After a movie like Everything Everywhere All at Once, where we see like rapid leaps through different universes and what the imagination can produce, that very scene happens in Doctor Strange and it felt lackluster to me which is probably going to be a lot of people's favorite moment when, when they change into all different kinds of different iterations of themselves. And unfortunately, I think everything everywhere all at once ate their lunch, you know? Really? I, I agree with you. My mine is the moment where we're talking about all these Marvel characters on screen and Scarlet, Witch having her moment of flexing her power if you will and taking down these i mean that was at least exciting it was like it was where i thought it was the most gruesome uh we were talking about these death scenes and it was like okay this is really exciting for me that was at least got me to uh, adjust in my chair and i I was excited for a moment there robert you know i thought the one i i agree in the in terms of like them shifting through universes was I, I remember watching it the moment that scene happened. I was like, this isn't as good as everything everywhere all at once. <laughs> it's like, just, just didn't make it. It didn't make it to that level. But um, there's the one scene that I think you could feel Sam Raimi pop out. And that was the fight with the musical notes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> yes, that was fantastic. Visually and 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 sonically really fantastic and ingenious and it was like why can't the whole movie be as ingenious as this one scene (laughs) i agree for sure that was really cool matt you got a movie poster quote yeah thor better be good (laughs) i went with ramey brings the visuals but forgot the substance that's probably fair how many jaws you giving this thing right I'm, I'm busting out the rare quarter jaw and going Ooh. two and a quarter, two and a quarter. So just above middle of the road, but it's, it really is just about a two jaw movie, Matt. Uh, I wish I had thought ahead to, to, to polish off my quarter jaw, but I went two and a half. This is not okay. a turd. Listen, 
it's a fun movie. It's Sam Raimi. It's it's Doctor Strange. Go have some fun. Eat some popcorn. We're we're you know maybe a little bit jaded film critics here. I I think this one's going to be probably well received. Robert, we're on a four jaw scale here. How many jaws? Two. <laughs> I'm at two. I. It's not. It's not. It's not bad. It's not great either. It's bang on average, and that's mm-hmm. it. <laughs> You know, we were talking about WandaVision and television. It, 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 what's happening at the end of these movies, and I think what's bothering me is like, I go back to like when I was a big X-Files fan and how bummed out I was that they built this whole storyline up to the movie, the X-Files movie. And then what happens? You know, Fox Mulder sees the alien spaceship that he always knew, but, you know, Scully was unconscious and didn't see it. So the next year we go back to the, basically the whole start of the premise of the show again. Like she doesn't believe in the aliens, yada, yada. It never ends. Boy, did it feel that way at the end of the Dr. Strange. Like, are, are we ever coming to anything end? Is, is anything going anywhere? Because no. it's, they just introduce another character and I'm getting to the point of like, well, why am I watching this? That's why I like wow. movies. I like going and, and a, a nice definitive end. It's starting to feel very much so episodic to me. It's just like we're watching a long television show that the writers don't know where it's going, but they just want to keep us coming back for more. And I don't like that. I listen, I'm not going to get wax poetic about how it's one of the coolest film projects of our lifetime. Probably the coolest one we'll ever see. It's got its hits and misses in it, but as a whole, nobody else has done this or, or even come close to replicating it. Now that being said, well, I hope, I hope nobody does. This is the thing that comic books are. They're soap operas. They're, 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 they never end. It's just like, how long can we keep this premise going? They bring in new writers, new artists, new characters, things rise, things fall. And that's just the nature of it. And I think it's okay. I think it's yeah. fine. I, I'm just saying for me, as obviously everybody knows already at this point, I'm not very big into the comics or the superhero movies. So like I'm my interest has always not really been there that much. And now it's just like, okay, what, what really was the point of this movie? I'm not, I don't think there was one. It's just another character is introduced at the end. And what's the point of famous movies? It's art, dude. And it was, what are you talking about? Yeah. There's points of, of a movie all the time. There's a complete story. We just talked about everything everywhere. All at once. You can look at that as one complete piece of art okay. story. All right, wait. Doctor Strange I, is just an ongoing it, it literally no. ends with so Doctor Strange will return. No shit. Okay, so so what, what, what are you what are you lacking here? The 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 subtext? I'll give you the subtext. I don't want to belabor this, but it was about no, no. it's about divorce. That's what the movie was about. America Chavez is is representative of of the kid stuck between two parents. He just wants her to be happy. She's marrying another guy. She's moving on with her life and Strange can't move on. That's the whole thing. So he's he's going through the multiverse. He sees Wanda as a dark reflection of himself as a character who's obsessed and cannot let go. And, mm, and that's mm. what it means. So it, it all wraps up very nicely. There's a there's a as, as a nice I don't think it you think context. it wraps up nicely in, in that way. It does. At least no, it tells a story that that has a human condition attached to it. Yeah, I didn't I didn't get much out of it at all. Obviously. All right. Well, got to agree to disagree on this one. I, and I'm not saying it's a great movie, but it did have merit. Well, all right. Well, we'll talk about it, I'm sure, at the end of Thor when we have the, the famous words, Thor will return. 
That's great. Hey, Marty McFly will return too. I mean, you love those movies. There's three of them, not 47 of them or whatever number we're on here at Marvel already. <laughs> I'd be tired of Marty too if he was in 47 movies. Nah, you wouldn't. You tired not. of Luke Skywalker, Ryan? He wasn't in 47 movies. Not yet. <laughs> Just give him time. All right. One thing we can agree on, though, is that the Scarlet Witch had a pretty good turn. This was when everybody was calling her Wanda for a long time, and now she is the final vision of the Scarlet Witch. So we decided to do heel turns, characters turning evil. Not a surprise, haha, they're evil, even though one of those is kind of on my list. We'll get there. But Robert, you sent us your list, so we've seen it. It looks good. Who do you got sitting at number five? Number five is uh, What Lies Beneath, which I, when I was thinking about heel turns, I was struggling. I was trying to think, is it someone who we're suspicious of from the very beginning? Or is it someone who is totally a good guy? And then maybe the third or halfway through, we see they're not. So I tried to lean toward the latter, try to lean toward that. Um, what lies beneath? Kind of on the borderline because there, mm-hmm. if you watch it a few times, there are early signs that maybe Harrison Ford, not the best guy in this movie. <laughs> but I think what makes this movie, of course, which is directed by Robert Zemeckis, it's about um, a couple who, a suburban couple, uh, the wife who uh, is played by Michelle Pfeiffer, who sees the ghost of a possible former lover of her husband. And her husband, who's played by Harrison Ford, keeps gaslighting her, right? So there's this whole Hitchcockian kind of um, format to it in terms of it being a thriller and a ghost story. And then there's gaslighting aspect of it. And I think what makes this movie tick is Harrison Ford's star persona. It's the fact that we look at Harrison Ford on screen and we see Indiana Jones, we see Han Solo, we see the hero. And he plays us like like a fiddle for at least two thirds of the movie. And it really isn't until the last 20 minutes that everything falls into place. You're like, oh God, he actually is a killer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it's one of the great heel turns in cinema history by one of the great heroes of cinema um, where he, he goes from just this perfect husband to this guy is total sadistic evil. Yeah. Good pick at number five. It is. It is. Uh, yeah. Can you can never argue with a Harrison Ford pick. It's a good no. one. I just rewatched this caught it and, and not long ago. And it's very entertaining. It's one of those movies. If you, you like catch it and it's on like cable or, Pluto TV. It's like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll watch this, you know? Yeah. All right. That, that brings it to my number five. I'm going with the matrix and the character who makes the heel turn is Cypher played by uh, Joe Panto Leono. He is, this is, I struggle with this too, Robert, like, um, and I decided that no, I'm not going to go with characters who were hiding the fact that they were evil. This is characters who are good, that turned to evil and cypher was such a character. He helped rescue people from the matrix and then decided that life aboard the Nebuchadnezzar was hell and he wanted back in. So he turns to the agents and sells out all of his friends on the boat 
And it's a painful moment when that happens, even though we've only kind of known Cypher as a bit of a, a, an asshole, to be honest, he was a lovable asshole. But at this moment, when he eats the steak and he says, ignorance is bliss, it's one of the great movie lines. I, I you know, I occasionally rewatch that scene. I think it's underrated among the Matrix uh, lore, that, that particular mm-hmm. scene. So. And, and it also plays up the wonderful moment where he's starting to unplug all of his people from the matrix and this is killing them instantly inside the matrix and he's about to do this to neo and he has the big line it's it's almost like a the wrestling moment where it takes way too long you know he could have just unplugged him and ended the whole movie but he's like if i'm if morpheus is right then i can't do this and he's builds up builds up and of course gives enough time if for only somebody, somebody would stop him. me yeah. i'm waiting <laughs> yeah but it works it mm-hmm. works was on my list. I'll let you know, but I'll fill in with an honorable. My number five pick, smaller movie, came out in 2012, directed by Josh Trank, who gave us the wonderful Fantastic Four joke and uh, the very strange Tom Hardy Capone uh, mm. film. His debut was Chronicle, and it was uh, starred three people you had in there uh Dane DeHaan, Alex Russell, and Michael B. Jordan, who play three high school friends who gain telekinetic powers uh, from an unknown object. And at first, they're just having fun with these powers. But eventually, the character that Dane DeHaan plays becomes evil, right? He was bullied, and now all of a sudden, this power that he has uh, goes to his head and starts to corrupt him. And it shot this entire movie in the found footage style of these kids uh, playing around with their powers. Really creative. Something that I, I know came out of like left field. Like I, I remember seeing the ads for it and thinking, boy, that looks terrible. And then finally watching the movie and being really shocked what they were able to pull off. And again, something different that we hadn't quite seen with the idea that kids get superpowers and what exactly happens to them. If you haven't seen Chronicle, well worth a spin. Highly recommend that one. Robert, have you seen Chronicle? Um, I actually have not. Um, it's one of the tranks I have. It's the only trank I haven't seen. I actually liked his Capote. <laughs> yeah, same. <laughs> yeah. Weird movie. We were, we were fans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so very my number, weird. Yeah. My number five, Chronicle. Into our fours we go. My number four is uh, I struggled with whether to choose godfather one or godfather two for this i think i'm gonna uh, i think i'm gonna go with godfather two even though there's a case to be made for godfather one but michael corleone um who begins the first godfather as this boyish upstart who's just trying to stay out of the family business he's 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 better than that he's supposed to be he's supposed to be mayor corleone he's supposed to be senator corleone um you could argue one when they at the end when they close the doors, you know, mm-hmm. and he you get the the sight of someone kissing his hand, kissing the ring, so to speak. Um but I'm gonna go with two because two is really where you start seeing him make the power play moves, right? And it's it's where where we see him kill his brother Freddo. Poor Freddo. Mm. <laughs> and uh, you you know you see this guy who you thought there's no way he can turn evil and you see that actually no what he's always been trying to do is the reason he didn't want to get to the family business because he knew this 
was always a portion of himself. And now he's in a position where this portion has come out and yeah. he is power hungry and he will stop at nothing and no one to, uh, to, to accrue as much power as possible. Um, it's one of the, it's what makes the Godfather one of the great American tragedies in cinema. Yeah, man. It's after the car bomb that he makes the turn, you know, and you yeah. just know that he's not going to be the same anymore. The, the only thing wrong with this pick is, is it's at number four. When does the Godfather appear at number four on someone's list? <laughs> what is Robert got at three, two, one? I <laughs> can't wait find to hear out. it. We're going to find yeah. out. Yeah. What do you got, man? All right. At number four, I am going with the great Christopher Lee playing Saruman in uh, J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Saruman, when we're introduced to him, we believe he's good. He may have already turned to evil, but the character is known as Saruman the White, and he's the, the, the most powerful wizard of the order and Gandalf's mentor and we just think he's got to be a hero. And then when he makes the turn and reveals himself, uh, it's, it's, it's heartbreaking, you know? And of course, in the, in the subsequent movies, like the Hobbit and stuff, we get to see Saruman when he was good acting for uh, the good people of middle earth. But uh, I, in the two towers specifically, he, he really shows what he's his, his metal. And it's speaking of metal, how metal is a couple of wizards battling. You know, that's pretty bad. That part was great. Yeah, it was great movie. Great scene. One of the best of, of the trilogy, frankly. My number four pick actually was Cypher from The Matrix. This is where I had it. Um, so I agree with Matt. If I'm subbing one in, which I will do. However, it does put me at back to back Star Wars picks. Little little hint here. I'm going to go with Lando Calrissian as my uh, sub. Does he really turn evil, though? I thought about this I one. Know, I know. I know. I, I thought the same thing. But there definitely, especially when you were a kid and, it's and a you were watching turn. Empire Strikes Back, I was, like, devastated, and I hated Lando after seeing the Empire Strikes Back for a little while there. Obviously, he redeems himself. He sold him out. We all love the guy. Yeah. But he sold out his friends. And when we meet him, it's like, oh, good. Another, you know, another guy that the— the Alliance can rely on. And the next thing you know, he opens up the door and he's having dinner with Darth Vader and Boba Fett. And it's like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? You can't do that to Han and Leia and Chewie. So but he I'll did. put Lando at number four. Yeah. Now that I think about it, that's a good pick. Robert, number three, buddy. My, my number three is a little bit out of left field, but it is Undercover Brother, uh, the, gra- the great black, uh, black exploitation comedy starring Eddie Griffin. Uh, Eddie Griffin oh, yeah. plays, and quite literally, an undercover brother who is part of a spy group called the Brotherhood. He wears, he has Afro leather suit, big belt buckle, whole costume. Um, and so, you know, for me, um, heel turns can happen, of course, when we see that the character um, has always been evil. And sometimes a heel turn can happen through no volition of the character themselves. It can happen under a spell or um, uh, other substances. And that's exactly what happens to Undercover Brother. He um, is trying to foil the plan by the man um, who has a... Uh, a potion that he's been or a drug that he's been putting in fried chicken in order to undermine black people. 
Um, it's, wow. one of the, it's one of the great comedies, one of the great premises of all time. And he sends in this white woman who is uh, known as White She-Devil, uh, played by Denise Richards, uh, to as to seduce the to seduce undercover brother and it works she seduces him she gives him the secret concoction and it renders him into a geeky corny quote-unquote white version of himself and he turns against <laughs> the brotherhood and it takes the brotherhood coming in and saving him for him to turn back into undercover brother um <laughs> and so when i watched this film <laughs> one not only did i absolutely laugh my ass off because it's just a funny film but also when this heel turn happened it was like oh no not not the fried <laughs> chicken <laughs> and if we're, it's like you know it there is a, a, a bit of like racial essentialism in this which is probably uncomfortable now <laughs> in, in this era but at the time it was it um if you go with the logic of the film in terms of like what makes a quote-unquote good black person what makes a person who's down for the cause it was quite literally one of the great heel turns i've ever seen in a film and one of the funniest heel turns i've ever seen that is a great pick dude and i gotta say undercover brother is an underrated movie (laughs) i just love that undercover brother is just ahead of the godfather on a list mark it down it it doesn't happen often but it happened today with robert daniels i love it all right, that brings it over to me. And I am going with with your boy, Ryan, Robert Eggers uh, in his, I, I think this is his debut, The Witch 20, 2015, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Also the debut of Anna Taylor-Joy as Thomason. And I think this- Wait, Was that her debut? Throat in the Fish Tank, I'm pretty throat damn in the sure. Fish tank. Okay, I'm not positive. I think this ahead. was our introduction to her, but certainly my introduction to her. She- this is a case where, where a character gets told she's evil through the whole movie. She gets almost victimized. I'm mean, not almost. She's victimized. She's she's told she's bad. She's told she's the cause of this curse. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of like subtext to this movie that I won't even get into. But at the end, she she was like, well, all right, if you guys think I'm evil, I'm going to go ahead and talk to this devil, this this uh, black Philip in the in the shed here, this goat. And I'm going to sell my soul. Cause you told me I should. So, and it's kind of a shocking ending, kind of a fun, satisfying ending, a twistedly satisfying ending. I love it. It's one of my favorite movies of that year. No complaints here. Obviously high praise for the Northman. Robert, were you high on the Northman also? You know, I wasn't high on the Northman. Um, I think artistically, visually and sonically, it's a great film. Um, it did feel like, the last third unraveled um as i I wish the film was more chaotic i wish it was more outlandish because it's so funny and the first like two-thirds of it and then the last third it tries to gain some seriousness and tries to gain some you know thematic gravity and i was like no i just want dumb vikings hitting each other i don't i don't care about anything else give me blood give me gore But do check out all of Robert Eggers' films. The Witch, high on the list there, Matt. Good one. My number three, I mentioned back-to-back Star Wars. And it comes in at number three. But if this was handled right, it should be all of our number ones. But it wasn't handled correctly. I do have Anakin Skywalker's turn to Darth Vader at number three. 
again, I think the Lucas dropped the ball. I mean, it's the whole oh, yeah. reason, right? There's three prequels leading up to this moment. How did Anakin Skywalker finally fall? What was the moment where he turned to the dark side and became Darth Vader? And and we finally see it, and it's like, ah, oh, that was it. It should have been so much better, and you know, on every level. I mean, it, it, you know, Hayden Christensen could have stopped whining for a moment there and complaining about sand, and and really got into the really dig deep into the damn character, and and maybe he actually should have physically killed Padme, right? With the force. There's a moment where he's like choking Padme. And I know that would have been too dark for Star Wars and families, but maybe it was something like that that really just drove him mad and crazy and started to go towards the dark side. Well, he but killed a bunch of children. The younglings. The younglings. <laughs> they don't show it. I think they should have shown him kill the younglings. And I don't mean like blood and gore, just like get a little bit more descriptive because it's really, you don't even know if he does. Until uh, Obi Wan says he did, yeah, and 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 Natalie Portman, you know, overacting like stunned. What have you done, Anakin? I mean, the whole thing. It again, it fell apart. It, it did. It fall. It fell apart. It's still because of the history of Star Wars and the character needs to be talked about on a list when we're talking about heel turns. But again, should have been handled much better, and it would have been all our number ones. But unfortunately it didn't turn out that way he was the chosen one he was supposed to bring balance to the force right didn't happen yes, he did. the, yeah. the younglings i will say though <laughs> when you see the kid the cut when, when like he his lightsaber extends and you see the kid's reaction it's a great cut that's one of the great mm-hmm. like <laughs> i agree i agree that that kid was genuinely startled by something you know it yeah was good, I, it was a good shot it's it's a good shot and um <laughs> I think that scene works if if uh, Hayden Christensen had the didn't have the, the terrible performance of the young leagues and killed them all. <laughs> it it really comes down to the dialogue, right? I mean, yes. Lucas Ugh. is known to just put way too much clunky dialogue into these movies. Show it. Don't don't have to say every single line and emotion that the characters are saying. Yet he was determined, especially when there's a scene in there where he's talking about why the chancellor is correct or, you know, Palpatine is, is right. And the Jedi are wrong. Like show it, act it out. You don't got to say it the way it is. It's like, it was just way too much. And oh my God, as clumsy as handling as you could possibly do it, you know, yeah. five thumbs, George Lucas dropped the ball on that one, but got to be mentioned here. Anakin Skywalker turning into Darth Vader, my number three into our twos. We go, Robert. Yeah, my, my number two is The Dark Knight, and it is Aaron Eckhart as Two-Face. Um, Aaron Eckhart spends the whole movie as the White Knight of Gotham. He will save Gotham. He will bring us into a new era. And Aaron Eckhart, I think, is like, has such a, such an all-American image, you know? Even though this actually came out around the same time as uh, Thank You for Smoking, and he kind of, t- you know not tarnished or blemished it, but he was, he was kind of playing with that image at the time. Um, the bad boy. Yeah. He was really yeah. playing with it. And, and so he begins the movie as, you know, clearly a white knight and the downfall of him, you know, when he tragedies, he sees his face, you see, you know, that he's never going to be the same. He's, he is, doesn't believe that change can happen through 
having some type of moral fiber through having some type of scruples. It can only happen through violence. And, you know, it, of course, puts a heavier weight on Batman's shoulders, but it also, you know, um, takes a little light out of whatever there was in Gotham. Um, and I, it, of, the, of the characters in Christopher Nolan's trilogy, uh, the Two-Face character is by far the most tragic. Agree. Big, big agree. 100%. In all honesty, that was also my number two. I guess I didn't read your list carefully enough, but I got a substitute. I'm going to throw in, speaking of great superhero movies, I don't think I don't think anyone on this panel would disagree with me or give me too much guff if I said Spider-Man 2, while maybe not as great as The Dark Knight, is right up there, and Doc Ock's heel turn. It happens early on in the film, and of course we all know Dr. Octopus is going to be the villain, but they set him up as this really sympathetic, like sub-protagonist, almost like a mentor figure toward Peter Parker, and which I've, you know, I realize it's a formula. They did the same thing with the Green Goblin, but his heel turn was because I loved him more than Willem Dafoe. I think when when Alfred Molina makes the turn, it was that much more poignant. Plus, I think he really was good at heart, whereas um, you know the Green Goblin was truly evil at heart. So there it is. That's my substitute. We don't have to belabor it. We can just leave it right yeah, there. That's fine. Okay. My number two pick came out in 1997, comes from the movie. This is one where I, I teetered with, was this guy always evil? Yes, he was, but I think he gets more evil as the film goes on. 1997's masterpiece, L.A. Confidential, and it is Captain Dudley Smith, played by James Cromwell. The The movie uh, and, and the plot of the film is, is how these cops start to uncover this mystery that's going on. It starts at the, the night owl, uh, murder that goes on and they're, they're digging into this and they start to unravel something much deeper going on. And that being that the LAPD are dirty, Matt, and covering things up. But how far up the ladder does that lead and how dirty are they is the question. And it goes all the way up to the top. And we finally get this big moment. It's more of a reveal than it is a turn. But he does, I think, go even darker and and deeper into the evil um, at the very end of the film. And it, it ends with a great line by James Cromwell where he says, raise your badges up, let them know you're police officers, just after we've seen them do you know, some horrific things. And it's like, oh my God, okay, wow, this guy's really evil. And it's, it's right at the end of the film. Great one, uh, LA Confidential, one of the better films you're, you're going to see. So do check it out, Jawheads, if you haven't seen it even though I just spoiled the hell out of it, but still. It's a, check yeah, it out. everybody knows it. That's listening to it's, this. It's 1997, so yeah. come on. Yeah. Leaves us with our number ones. Robert, what do you got sitting there? My, my number one is we got two Harrison Fords on my list. <laughs> so what lies beneath was my number five. My number one is Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, of course, you know, this is the second film in the, the Indiana Jones series. Um, it's kind of come back in the news now with, with uh, K-Hua Kwan, uh's performance and everything everywhere all at once. Of course, he plays short round in this movie, Indy's plucky sidekick. But uh, in this installment, Indiana Jones travels to India. You know, There's a village where 
uh, children have been stolen and sacred stones have been stolen. And he has to infiltrate the thuggy cult. And it's a pretty typical Indiana Jones movie. He's the hero. There's a romance between himself and Kate Capshaw. But um, that is until the thuggy high priest puts his spell on Indy and turns him into a sadistic killer. And I think what I love about Harrison Ford, I, I, he might be, I think, my favorite actor of the 20th century, um, is in the 90s and in the 80s too, you know, he, of course, played this all-American. You know, he was America's dad. And yet he found these moments where he really played with his star persona. And it happens in What Lies Beneath. It happens in Presumed Innocent by Alan J. Pakula. Uh, it also happens in uh, Mosquito Coast, too. And But the first kind of inkling you get of it happens here in Temple of Doom. And, in the, and Harrison Ford's always been a great emotive actor, especially with his eyes. And when he attacks Short Round and you see his eyes just flare with fire and viciousness, uh, you realize that there's a whole section to Harrison Ford that we have not seen yet. And he, you know, you see, like, he would make a fantastic villain. Of course, later in his career, he would become a fantastic villain. But to see Indiana Jones, this guy who is this literal all-American hero, the paradigm of, of intellect and strength, become this possessed killer. Um, I, I, don't, and I don't think, we, you know, we, we've seen a, you know, a, a hero be plunge the depths of darkness that far and somehow come back um, as mm. as with that um, as with what happens in in, uh, in Temple of Doom and it, it leads to one of my favorite moments in the Indiana Jones series and that's where he winks at Short Round after he does come out of it yes. and, and he has that moment where he grabs him and, and Short Round's still scared and he sort of gives him the wink and we the audience feel like yes Indiana Jones is back it's awesome <laughs> Indiana Jones that heel turn traumatized me it when i saw that movie indiana jones was the poster above my bed he was the hero the hero i looked up to and when he when he had that turn it genuinely scared me you know and and oh it did it really did it it it, it, it burned a little indiana jones shaped hole in my heart wow and it's, and, it's a scary moment you, yeah, I, you know for a kid you know, I'd love for Harrison. I wish Harrison Ford had done more horror films in his career. I really, I really do. I think he would have been a great actor in a horror film. I, you know, the closest he got was what lies beneath. Mm. Yeah. yeah. I, I agree, man. That is a fantastic pick. Um, I'm going, I'm going with, um, I'm going with uh, Stanley Kubrick though. At number one, I'm going with the shining, the heel turn by Jack Torrance. And what's cool about it. I think is that it, it really is the whole movie that, that his, he turns from, you know, I, he doesn't seem like the perfect husband and dad when, when he's driving up to the overlook hotel, but at least he's not evil, right? He, he could probably use a little bit of therapy um, and maybe AA or something. But when he gets there, the isolation, the solitude and the obviously malevolent spirits that haunt the place, slowly twist and possess his mind until he is um, not the man he came in as. And he chases down his family with an ax 
And we all know what ensues. All those visuals are iconic at this point. It is a movie I could put on at any point in the movie and just enjoy the visual that is on screen. Just literally front to back, the movie's a masterpiece. And the turning of Jack Torrance is central to that masterpiece. So that's my number that one. Leads, that's a nice pick, and it leads perfectly into my number one because mine also is a movie that the whole film is about the person's turn to the dark side, if you will. Uh, I'm going with Nina Sayers, played by Natalie Portman in Black Swan yeah. for my pick. And it's a stellar performance by Natalie Portman. And we see Nina falling deeper and deeper into the role of the Black Swan. She's hallucinating along the way. And then finally, in the final act of the film, the actual performance of the ballet itself, Black Swan, um, she fully becomes the character and actually like, you know, shatters a mirror, attacks another character, but is it another character or is it a reflection of herself? You know, the mystery is out yeah. there. We don't know at the time, but it, the whole entire movie is really watching Natalie Portman succumb to the character of the black Swan. It's unbelievable performance. I've watched this movie several times. Masterpiece arguable. But it's up there. Yeah, it's definitely a good movie. Who played her mom again? Oh man, you throw it in the throw fish in tank. That, throw, throw it in the fish tank. It's it's. Uh, I can Hershey? picture. Her. No. Throw it in the fish tank. Okay. Who played Natalie guess. Portman's mom in Black Swan? But that was my number one pick. You got an honorable mention before we go to break. I got. A, I got all mine used up. The I got two. Otherwise, my honorables were also used up. Magneto. Uh, arguable. We don't have to talk about it. Um, Carrie White from the movie Carrie starts off as an innocent, somewhat likable, dorky girl. And then by the end, she's murdering her entire high school with mm. telekinetic powers. So. Jawheads, if we missed your favorite heel turn and you have Twitter pulled up, shoot us a tweet. We're at CinemaJaw, or you can always email us. That email is feedback at cinemajot.com. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we have a cinema war looking at Sam Raimi versus James Gunn plus some Tom Cruise movie trivia. Stick with us. All right, Jawheads, we're going to just jump right into it with our month-long celebration of Tom Cruise. Get this one out of the way early. It's the moment you've all been waiting for. It's the moment that completes me from Jerry Maguire. I'm looking for my wife. Wait. Okay. 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 This is where it has to happen, and this is where it has to happen. I'm not letting you get rid of me. How about that? This used to be my specialty. You know, I was good in the living room. They send me in there and I do it alone. And now I just... Tonight, our little project, our company, had a very big night. A very, 
very big night. But it wasn't complete. It wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete. Because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice. Or laugh about it with you. I miss my, I miss my wife. We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. And I've just had shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. <laughs> Hey, Jawheads, we are sponsored this week by the Bulin Podcast. Join Frank and Skyler every week for an hour of talking nonsense. Occasionally, there's a guest, and occasionally, it gets off the rails. You can find them on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher, and probably a lot of other places too. So check it out. It's the B O O L I N Bulin Podcast. And we thank them for their support. And we are back on Cinema Jaw, hanging out with Robert Daniels, film critic. You can read all of his work over at RogerEbert.com, Polygon, New York Times, LA Times. You're reading a movie review. There's about a 50% chance you're reading Robert Daniels' review. Maybe not that high, but he's everywhere. Robert, speaking of everywhere, I'm on Twitter, and I see you send out a tweet that says that you have a Substack. I don't even know what Substack is. I'm new to this. So explain to us what it is and how people can get involved. I guess the easiest way to explain it is that Substack's basically a blog. Um, and the, the, the only difference between, say, like Substack and, say, a regular blog is that Substack makes it easier for you to monetize, right? Um, so you can, say, send out a monthly newsletter or even a weekly newsletter. You can put that as this is for free. This is for like people who just subscribe and they just want that, you know, component. And then there's a paid component, of course, to it too, where you can write a post and say, this will only go out to paid subscribers. So if you think about like say Patreon, it's basically the same thing. Um, so I started the, my Substack uh, about a week ago now, actually, because, you know, sometimes you pitch stuff and, you know, editor will get back to you and say, oh, that, that's a great pitch, but, you know, it's we're a little bit past the deadline for that. And it's not in the news so much. Or, you know, you might get, you put in a pitch and it, you know, it's, it's a good pitch, but we really don't have room for it. Well, some, I, I personally, I love writing and I hate when those pitches kind of die on the vine and I want to write about them still. So this is a platform where I can still write about them. And Substack is 812filmreviews.substack.com. Um, and I've already got a newsletter up there. I've got a piece about uh, <laughs> Arby's and Netflix, which is basically about me visiting the original Arby's location in L.A. on the same night that the Netflix layoffs happened, which if anyone doesn't know the layout of L.A., the original Arby's is across the street from the Netflix's office. So, <laughs> um, and then I've got a few upcoming posts coming up about um, uh, Usher's Burn, 
the impact of that song, my favorite albums of the year. And also I'll have a preview column up about the uh, titles you should be looking forward to at Chicago Critics Film Festival. Some of them I've already mentioned on here. Nice. Awesome. We'll throw a link of that for that too in the, in the show notes. Cause why not? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we, Matt? Yeah. Before we get to Cinemore and before we get to trivia, we threw a few items into the fish tank. Phil wants to swim up to the top. Let's open up that fish tank. Wait a moment. It's fish, isn't it? DC, Who's coming with me besides Flipper? Here. That's just a second message. That means Luca Brasi sleeps with the fishes. You're gonna need a bigger boat. Yes, thank you, everybody, so much. We have uh, a few items in here this week. One of them's, I think, pretty interesting. They're all pretty interesting. One of them I tried to spice up a little bit. Uh, the first one, what is the rating of uh, Multiverse of Madness, the new Doctor Strange film? It is PG-13. They did get away by cutting away from the bifurcation, uh, and that is not rated R. I also, Disney would never let that happen. I don't no, think. they I, wouldn't, yeah. <clears throat> Was Anya Taylor-Joy's first movie, The Vavitch? I'm willing to say yes, and I think... Everyone else here would agree. Uh, however, technically, no. Uh, if we're if we're <laughs> if we're she going like by a like kid film role credit, or she no. Was... So the the witch was 2015, and the year prior she was credited in 2014's Vampire Academy. But there's two reasons I'm counting her role in Vampire Academy as a no, and saying that it doesn't count. One. She is only in a deleted scene where she's credited as Feeder Girl. Yeah, I didn't, that didn't even make count. it into the real one. Two, uh, this film's sixteen percent fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. Who can It's we don't. This is Anya Taylor it Joy. Count. It's not like it's like. Yeah, it she went on count. to be in the Chess Show. Like she's so good. Uh, <laughs> Uh, and then our last one, who played Natalie Portman's mom in Black Swan? That would be Barbara Hershey. I guessed it. Yeah, nice. Yes, you did. That was great. Good stuff. Was that everything, Phil? That's all we got. Jump back in there. You know it. Matt, it brings us to a segment called Cinema War. The war, it works like this. Me and Matt were fighting on a topic. Our guest, our jury this week, Robert Daniels. He's got to play judge and jury and tell the jawheads who he thinks won the cinema war. Phil, what are we talking about this week? Ryan, I'll tell you what we're talking about. We are talking about the crossover event of the century with this cinema war. As you and Matt are going to take on who the heaviest hitter in the MCU director's chair is. Ryan, you're going to be gunning at Matt's life as you try and slither a win in for James Gunn as the best MCU director. And Matt is raising the evil dead this week as he argues Sam Raimi is the greatest director involved in the cinematic universe. Let this titan of a cinema war begin. Matt, 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 it was your recommendation to me to seek out James Gunn's directorial debut, 2006's Slither. So I did, and it was awesome. 
one of the stronger horror movie debuts of all time, a film that grosses you out and has you rolling on the floor laughing at the same time. James Gunn came out of the gate strong. And the most important thing we learned, he works great with large casts, a talent not all directors have. Listen, I love Slither and I love James Gunn. I love him. And it pains me to do this. But Raimi is an A-list director and Gunn is still at the top of the B's. Spider-Man 2 is considered top three. Many would say number one superhero movies of all time directed by Raimi. Guardians, certainly on that list, but below Spidey. Well, my favorite MCU movie, and this means a lot to really the world, is Guardians of the Galaxy, Matt. I never even heard of the Guardians before the movie came out. And when I saw the trailer, which included a talking tree and a talking raccoon, I thought, you got to be bleeping me. The film could have went horribly wrong, if not for James Gunn. He balanced humor, this time with adventure, and again flexed his talent for working with large casts in which he somehow makes every character shine. Not just a home run this time, but a grand slam. It's the film that put MCU on a whole nother level. You know, the thing is, these guys are both so similar. You know, they both started their careers as writers, Raimi wrote Crime Wave with the Cohen brothers, who were unknown at the time, and James Gunn wrote Tromeo and Juliet for Lloyd Kaufman, who's unknown to you to this very day. Hmm. Well, a couple years back, it looked like James Gunn might be canceled, but he beat cancel culture, Matt. His true fans wanted him to come back. So he does literally the impossible. He takes a chance on Suicide Squad and doesn't even bother renaming it from the disastrous first film by Warner Brothers. He had the confidence to say, let's call it the same damn thing. Just throw a the in front. Lo and behold, he does it again. This time blends humor with action. The film made your top 10 of the year and was critically praised by all critics, myself included. Again, man, I love I love Gunn. I'm not saying he's bad. I'm just saying that Raimi's a little better. He, the, he called it the same damn thing as, the, as that yeah. stinker. Your, your whole argument is based on big casts and the word the. The best thing about it, though, is you have to acknowledge trauma movies, which you never even saw, but you have seen the Evil Dead movies. Once again, there's this parallel between Raimi's pedigree and and Gunn's, but Raimi's is slightly higher. I bet even Gunn would agree. Hell, Lloyd Kaufman would agree. Evil Dead is just a little better than Tromeo and Juliet. All right. Well, you mentioned that Gunn wrote Tromeo and Juliet, but you forgot to mention he also wrote Scooby-Doo. Okay. Dawn of the Dead remake. Yeah. Yeah. Dawn of the Dead remake as well. Plus, Gunn's star continues to rise, being reinstated by Disney to direct Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Keep this in mind. Meanwhile, Sam Raimi's last two films, Doctor Strange 2, which we just crapped on, and the last one before that, Oz, the Great and Powerful. Ooh, underwhelming, to say the least. Winner here, James Gunn. All right. We didn't crap on it, but here's the thing. What gives Raimi the easy win is that he's not just a horror and superhero guy. The, the, he, he did um, that movie with Gene Hackman. What was the, the name of it? Oh, yeah. I don't know. 
And he also did <laughs> for the love of the game with Kevin Costner. Raimi has been on top outside of genre work, whereas Gunn is still paying those dues. This doesn't have to get dark, man. Your friendly neighborhood, Sam, is just a boomstick ahead of your old Jimmy Gunn. And if you don't like it, blow. We are buttonheads here on Cinema War. We throw it to our guest, our jury, our executioner, Robert Daniels. What did you think of this Cinema War? I, I see both you guys are playing to my heart. I love to see it. I love Ryan bringing in the baseball references. You see, you, you got um, home run and grand slam. Um, I also love the suicide. I love the suicide squad. I do and, too. You know what? I don't like the shade being thrown at Scooby-Doo either. <laughs> I don't know why there's shade being thrown at it. <laughs> however, however, I do appreciate that Matt brought up trauma movies. I do appreciate that he brought up Lloyd Kaufman and one person in one person directed for the love of the game. The other person did it. <laughs> I'm going to go with Matt. <laughs> Thank you. Terrible. Terrible. I even oh, wore man. my evil dead. Me. Evil dead t-shirt here. Oh, so, it pains me. Here's, that earns me 20 seconds of jaw time to rant and rave about whatever I want. And this is what I'm going to do. Ryan, I challenge you. I challenge you here and now in front of uh, Robert Daniels and all the jaw heads. You must watch Tromeo and Juliet. I made you watch Done. Slither and you liked Challenge it. accepted. You need to watch this movie. And then, then next time we're at C2E2 and I say, there's Lloyd Kaufman. You won't look at me and say, who? You'd be like, not holy only crap, that, there's Lloyd Kaufman. Not only that, I'll guarantee you we'll do a Patreon review of it. Might oh, just wow. be my review. I might just record it myself because you're you're busy guy. I'm a busy guy. But we'll we'll do a we'll do a, a Patreon review of Tromeo and Juliet. Dude. It's on my list. I'm excited. No, seriously, I will always make time for a Tromo review. So I'm I'm in on that one. Wow. That that was a good war though, Matt. You wanna see? Fun. See how much fun that Every was? Every once in a while, it's, it's just good to argue, you know? Yeah, totally. All right. Brings us to the end of uh, the jaw. You know what that means, Matt. It's trivia time. All we right. like to end it with some fun movie trivia. We're celebrating Tom Cruise this month of May. We've done Tom Cruise trivia, so I decided to step it up a notch. Usually I say the first two questions are easy. They're not. I call this tricky Tom Cruise trivia. Robert, uh -huh. you're our guest. You get to choose if you want to go first or let Matt go first. There are steals, and if you get hung up on any questions, you get one Rescue Me Ryan. I'll help you out. I'll, I'll let Matt go first. Question one over to Matt K. Right. Matt, are you ready? I'm ready. Tricky Tom Cruise movie trivia. couple of subcategories here. First two questions deal with Tom Cruise working with other great actors. Mm. Matt, Tom Cruise has made one movie with Gene Hackman. Name it. Taps. Incorrect. Robert, chance for a steal. Gene Hackman, Tom Cruise. What movie? Gene Hackman, Tom Cruise. Only worked together once. Oh, man. Jawheads, they were worn. This is tricky Tom Cruise <laughs> trivia. <laughs> oh, man. This is... Okay, okay. Let me... Uh... I don't, I don't know. Born on the 4th of July. That's wrong. But oh, That is incorrect. We were looking for The Firm. Oh, of course. Yes, The oh. Firm. Wow. Question one missed by both contestants. We move to question number two. Over to Robert. 
Still, Tom Cruise with great actors. Tom Cruise has made two movies with Robert Duvall. Name one of them. Tom Cruise has made two movies with the great Robert Duvall. You just need to name one of them. Name one. Oh man, this is. I'm starting to think I made it too tricky. Did I make it too tricky? Apparently, I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I, nothing is coming to my head right now. Oh man, I, it's gonna be like Gene Hackman. I'm gonna be like kicking myself that I didn't get it. Mm. Magnolia. I'm wrong. I know I'm mm. wrong. Incorrect. We could have accepted Days wait, of wait, Thunder. Wait, wait. I still get a chance. Oh, sorry. That's yes. okay. All right. So Days of Thunder <laughs> Days is eliminated. Days of Thunder is, is eliminated. Yes. All right. So I was going to say, this is what my honest answer was going to be. I always think uh, Bobby Duvall's got a soft spot for science fiction. So does Cruz. So I was going to say Minority Report. That would have been incorrect. Uh, mm. right. it, mm. it was Days of Thunder and Jack Reacher. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see Jack Reacher one there. Either did anybody. So that's why, <laughs> that's why nobody was getting that question right. Still 0 0 after the first two questions. We move to question three. Matt, Tom Cruise, subcategory here, working with great directors. Okay. All right. Question three Tom Cruise has made one movie that was directed by Ridley Scott. Name it. Okay. Here we go. This is one of the sci fi ones. Is this. It's either Oblivion or. Well, I don't want to say what or. I'm going to go with Oblivion. That is incorrect. Damn it. 100% incorrect. Robert, chance for a steal here. Ridley Scott directed Tom Cruise in one movie. <laughs> a Ridley Scott, Tom Cruise movie. I, f- <laughs> I feel like I should know this. Oh, man. I, it's a trick question. I feel... Okay, let me let me. All right, now I'm 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 going too quickly on these. It's not. It's not. Is it totally like not the genre you think of when you think of Ridley Scott? Am I, I'm not I, saying anything. I think I'm on the right track. Hmm. I don't know. Um. He wasn't an American gangster, of course. <laughs> um. Wow, it's like nothing is coming to my head about what he would be in with Ridley. Legend? Yes, it okay. is legend. <laughs> it's not what I was going to guess. Yes, Robert is on the board one to nothing. I got to scale down the trickiness here. I got to scale it down. One to nothing, Robert. Question four is over to him as well. Robert, Tom Cruise made one movie directed by Ron Howard. Name that film. Oh, Interesting. A Ron Howard movie. That... <laughs> wow. It's like, really, it's like, he was like, the, with the B movies of all these directors, I feel like. <laughs> a, a Ron Howard movie that he was in. Um, Anything. Um, no, not that one. No, 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 no. Uh, vanilla sky that's wrong <sighs> matt chance for a steal here Dude, and tie it up no Do you i got anything backdraft <laughs> <laughs> no he wasn't in backdraft it. i love it <laughs> we're looking for far and away far and away Shh. 
Never wow. would have got that in a million years. <laughs> Holy crap. All right. Names of characters that Tom Cruise have played is the, the category here. Matt, Tom Cruise played a character named Ron Kovic in what movie? Are you serious? True story. He really did. He played a character named Ron Kovic. Ron. A movie where he plays a character named Ron Kovic. Ron. I'm just, <laughs> holy crap, man. That is a difficult question. It is, but I think if people know the movie, they know, they know this one. And it seems like possibly Robert's one of those people. Ah, uh, dude, I have... N- Take a guess. Okay, Take so it's guess. not Night and Day, right? Because his character's name was Night. Um, wow, I like the elimination process. Right, so here. I've eliminated one of 500 movies he's been in. Um, dude, I don't... Okay, uh, how about um, Cocktail? Mm, incorrect. Robert, do you know this one? Born on the 4th of July. Correct. <laughs> Two to nothing, Robert. I, again, if you know the movie, you know the character. I've um, seen it. It's been a long time. Other character he played, and this question is to Robert, question six. Tom Cruise played a character named Stacy Jacks in what movie? I know that one. Tom, Tom Cruise played a character named Stacy Jacks. Is, is it Rock of Ages? It is Rock of Ages. <laughs> Three to nothing, Robert. And there's only two questions left, so we have a winner here, but let's play it out. Question seven over to Matt K. Two very different directors made the first two Mission Impossible films. Name both the directors. Dude, I don't even know if I can remember the first one. Dude, did J.J. Abrams make one of them? Ooh, but not the first two. I'll eliminate him. I believe he directed three. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, this one's tough, man. I, I don't know. Um, I will say um, Stanley Kubrick and <laughs> probably um, I think the other one was directed by Steven Seagal. <laughs> directed the directorial debut. Very close, very close. Robert, do you know the first two directors of the Mission Impossible movies? I believe the first one was by De Palma. Correct. And the <sighs> second one was by John Woo. That is correct. I think it, given enough time, I would have come up with that, maybe. <laughs> Four to nothing, Robert. It's a slaughter. Last question is over to him in tricky Tom Cruise trivia. Robert, Tom Cruise played a pilot in a Doug Lyman directed film, what was the name of that movie? Oh, is oh, is it the one where um oh, this is this is from a few a couple years ago, right? Correct. Um oh, uh it's a smuggler. Um he's on it. American he's all made over it. this one. That American is made. it. Yeah. That is it. <laughs> Not bad showing for tricky Tom Cruise trivia. Robert got five of the questions correct. Matt, let the record show, got zero. Hey, you know, five to nothing. He, Robert got a lot of my questions correct. So, <laughs> can I get a virtual hand? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. well, well done. Virtual fist bump. <laughs> if, if it came down to a tie, we call it a jawbreaker. This question would have been over to Robert. Will Tom Cruise win an acting Oscar before his career is done? Yes or no? Yes. 
I'd give that to him. I think he's going to. It might happen late, but when it happens, it's going to be one of those big standing ovation moments, he's, right? He's mm. come. He should have won for Magnolia. Mm-hmm. Michael Caine's got his Oscar right now. Like Michael Caine is holding Tom Cruise's Oscar. Michael Caine winning for Cider House Rules that year. Um, <laughs> beating both, I think, Haley Joe Osmond for Sixth Sense and Michael Clark Duncan for Green Mile. Wow. <laughs> Stat I think Michael Caine was probably the worst of the bunch. Oh, and, and uh, Jude Law for Townsend, Mr. Ripley, I think was that year, too. Jeez. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Jude Law was probably the lowest on the of the bunch. Even though I've that's seen that's what happens when you get an old guy that hasn't won an Oscar. Everybody, all right, let's Actually, get no, he Kane had as one, Oscar. That was his oh, second. He did? That was his oh, second. That's 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 appalling. Then that's appalling. I think he won for Hannah and his, and his sisters. Oh my goodness! Yeah. All right, real jawbreaker was this age of Ron Howard closest to Matthew. You got to guess how old's Ronnie Howard? Ronnie Howard. He is doing his. Masterclass. I've seen the ads in my Facebook feed, and boy, is he looking great. Not as good as his brother Clint, but he's looking great. I would say he is 62 years old. Lock him in at 62. Robert, you got to guess on how old Ron Howard is. Ron Howard, he's, he feels like he's putting up good 65. <laughs> Give that to Robert. 68 for Ron Howard. 68. That makes me feel old. Yeah. Wow. Unbelievable. So Robert wins this one, and that means, Matt, it brings us to the end of a very fun and entertaining jaw. First Indeed. and foremost, we got to thank our guest, Robert Daniels. Thanks for coming on Cinema Jaw. We will see you out at the Music Box for the festival. I look forward to it. Thanks for having me on, guys. We also got to thank our engineer, our producer, Phil Me and Phil. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I do want to take this opportunity because I'm realizing we didn't mention that we're celebrating Tom Cruise for Top Gun. Also, we just jumped right into our fact. That's That's the link. Top Gun's coming out. We're all excited about Maverick. We didn't just pick Tom Cruise's name out of a hat. Yeah, we're not trying to match crazy with crazy. It just so happens that all the psychopaths are making films right now. I noticed that he went to the premiere of Top Gun. He flew a helicopter himself and landed it to the premiere of Top Gun. I mean, the, 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 he's wild. He's he does should have jumped stunts. out. Yeah. <laughs> Matt, we also got to thank our sponsors. We do. Thanks to Overcast and to the Chicago Podcast Co-op who help us secure great sponsors like them. Yes. If you want to support Cinema Jaw, the easiest way to do so is by leaving us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And take that one extra step to click subscribe because it helps us out a ton. And we thank you in advance. And lastly, we want to thank our Patreons. Thanks for supporting the show. It means the world to us. If you want to support us there, just go to patreon.com backslash cinemajaw where we're about to drop our Troma review of Tromeo and Juliet and lots of other fun stuff. So hope to see you there. Can't wait. Until next week, I'm Ryan the Movie Guy. And I'm Matt K. And, and keep, keep on, on John about, about the movies. movies.